0: It's great to see you this morning. Uh, I wasn't here last Sunday. I feel way less guilty about it than Ting does. Um, but it, it, we were on vacation with our family and, uh, and it's good to, good to see you again. If we don't know each other, my name's Brian. Uh, I'm th- technically the executive pastor of Mount Hope and teaching pastor here in Belmont. Uh, and, I, and I love being here with you. I'm really excited that Tommy and Cassie Vandelon are here. I don't know if many of you know Thomas and Cassie. <laughs> But they were a part of this church for uh, how many years? A good five, five years, right? And lived two blocks that way. And then they just made a little move to Southern California. Uh, and now you're back. That's awesome. I, I look forward to talking to you after the service. That was a good surprise. Uh, and so I'm equally excited that all of you are here uh, as well. We're going to open up the book of First John. And if you're in these... Uh, these Bibles under your seats, where on page 1022 is the page in the Bible that we will be on in just a few moments. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, I think in general, in general, uh, some of us count ourselves as rule followers and some of us, I, w- I won't say like we're rule breakers, but some of us are rule benders. Do you know what I mean? Some of us like to stretch the rules. Some of us feel like rules are there as a healthy guide, and it's okay to, you know, stretch them a little bit if, if we need to. But some of us are rule followers. And if you're a rule follower, um, you're, the, you're the kind of person that if that checkout line says five items or less, You will count everything in your basket. You're wondering if every grape counts as its own uh, piece of fruit. And you're making sure that if you had six, you actually might set something aside so that you could go through the five-item-or-less checkout line and not cause any problems. And when you get in the 5 items or less checkout lane and you see the person in front of you has seven things, steam starts to come out of your ears because you cannot believe the brazen people that would flout the rules. Uh, so, so, uh, whatever the word is, rule benders were a little different, right? Rule benders, you see that five items and you see six things in your cart and you're like, close enough, close enough. I, I think I'm, I think I'm in there. Right? I was thinking, I was just smiling to myself as as Ting was giving that speech as to why he hasn't been here in the last three years. And I said, there's a good rule, or three weeks. And I thought, there's a good rule follower right there. Supposed to be at church on Sundays, hasn't been here for three weeks, feels so guilty that we get a slideshow display so that we all understand uh, where he's been over the last three weeks. Right? This is a good example of a rule follower a rule bender would say hey i've been away for 3 weeks and and now i'm now i'm back and not not really be bothered by that Nothing necessarily wrong with either but what what happens right some of you are like no 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 you should be a rule follower right and then we're all going to speed home uh, in our cars so we all have a little bit of this in us sometimes we bend the rules sometimes we keep the rules and when we come to Scripture. Here's one of the challenges that we have. You get into the Bible and there's no uh, hiding it. There's a lot of rules. A lot of things you're supposed to do. A lot of the things that you're not supposed to do. And one thing that is inevitable is that when you get into the text and you start seeing all of the things that that you're supposed to do, all of the things that you shouldn't do, all the things that God says that you ought to be doing, at some point, your heart becomes overwhelmed with all of the things that you're supposed to be doing or not doing. And as we get into the text, John knows that this happens in the Christian heart, and he's going to be speaking to this. And just so we know what we're talking about, I'd like to actually take a moment and read some of the things that we've already gone through in this tiny letter, in, which is 1 John. So not within the whole of Scripture, but what are the commandments, what are the rules that John has brought up? And in my Bible, the book of 1 John is two and a half pages. Maybe it's two pages in yours, maybe it's four. Uh, but in this tiny little letter, these are the things that John has already said to us. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk, walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Whoever says, I know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Whoever loves the world or the things that are in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Anyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. No one who abides in God keeps on sinning. No one who keeps sinning has either seen him or knows him. Everybody who hates his brother is a murderer. Everyone who sees the world's goods and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's just some passages out of this little two and a half page letter in the back of your New Testament. And I don't know about you, but when I go through a list like that, Something starts to happen in my heart, and I think it happens in everybody's heart, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. Is that as your heart starts to condemn you or your heart starts to say to you, oh, you messed that one up, and you don't do that one very well. And yeah, you saw somebody in need and you closed your heart off to them. So how could you possibly know who Jesus Christ is? And our hearts start to speak against us. Now, some of us try to uh, try to... Solve this in different ways. And I think it really matters whether you tend to be a rule follower or a rule breaker, how you try to solve this issue. You start to hear the commands of God. And John says something like, everybody who hates his brother is a murderer. And you think, I've probably hated someone at some point. The rule follower in us says, we've got to fix this. We've got to make this right. And so we might try to start paying attention to every last thing that God says and then going out in our day and trying to keep every last rule that God says in perfection, to try to solve this issue where our heart gets condemned because we're not doing the things that God says to do and we're doing the things that God says not to do. And so we say, I know how to fix this. I am going to put every spiritual life hack I can find into place so that I never break one of God's rules ever. That's one way to try to solve this problem. That's the rule follower way to solve the problem. The other way to solve this problem is to say, these rules don't matter. This is an ancient book with a lot of of weird things that it says, and I think God's cool with a lot of the things that I do, even though the book says not to do them. That's the other way to solve that problem. John comes into your life and my life, and he comes into your heart within the text of this letter, and he says, neither one of those is going to solve the problem that you feel when you sense the gap between the way that you live your life and the way that God calls you to live your life. And your, your heart starts to speak against you, in a sense, or condemn you. And so this morning, we're going to look at how John says we're supposed to handle this reality. And I think he find something very helpful for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, so we 're looking in First John chapter three, verse 19. By this, John says, we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. by the Spirit whom he has given us. There's uh, just, just a few verses here, five verses, and yet John says a lot in these verses. And so we'll try to unpack this in the next few moments that we have together. But what John says right at the beginning of this text, is he says there's something that you and I need to do whenever you start feeling that feeling like, yeah, God has all of these rules and I know that I can't reach that bar. So either I just, you know, bear it and try harder or I just say, well, forget those rules. Like I'm, I'm sure God's cool if I, if I break this one or that one or don't do this perfectly. John says neither of those are a good way to resolve that tension. But he does tell us how to resolve that tension in this text. And the first thing he says right off the bat in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, is he says this. He said, whenever your heart condemns you, get into God's presence. And I think that's a really important thing that he says. Because I don't know about you But when my heart condemns me and I'm embarrassed about what I've done or what I've said or who I am or how I've failed, the last place I think of going sometimes is right into God's presence because he's the one I've offended. But John says, if you want to fix this tension, if you want to do this right, when your heart condemns you, Get into God's presence. And he says it right there in verse 19. Look at this. He says, by this, and we'll get to the by this in just a second. By this, we, sh- we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure that the Greek word there for reassure, it means, it, it means persuade your heart or convince your heart. I love that word persuade. It's like by this, we shall know that we are of the truth and we will persuade our hearts as we get before him, the text says. We will persuade our hearts, or our hearts will be convinced as we get into God's presence. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. John's saying this is what happens. Your heart is going to need reassurance at some point in your walk with the Lord. It is a regular thing that happens to believers that our heart needs to be reassured of who we are and who God is. I don't know about you, but there are any number of things that could happen throughout the week that we're about to live that could cause me to wonder about who God is and how He's at work in this world. I heard Ting pray about one uh, this morning looking at those, those pictures of the fire in Maui. Lori and I were talking 17 years ago. That's where we went on our honeymoon in Maui. And we were talking about being on Front Street there in Lahaina and then looking at the pictures, and it's just totally gone. And that's just one thing of many things that are happening around the globe. And you think about all of that, and your heart can, can wonder. Your heart can need reassurance of who God is. There's bad news that could come this week. Things that I've talked to some of you in the congregation about over the last week. Things that are happening in your life. And it just can cause you to wonder. It makes your heart troubled. And John's saying, John's recognizing the reality that that is is usual for the believer. Sometimes we think if our heart's troubled in that way, maybe there's something wrong with us. But living in a broken, sinful world, John is saying, you know, that's usual for the believer. Things are going to happen. And one of the things that's going to happen is that you are going to hear the rules that God has, the commandments that God has. You're going to recognize your inability to keep those. And that also is going to trouble your heart. And so your heart needs to be persuaded or reassured of who you are in God. And the only way to do that is to get into his presence. And when you're in his presence, one of two things will happen either as somebody who does not follow Jesus Christ right now today, you will come into God's presence and you will recognize that God is not like your heart that condemns you. God's not even like all those religious people that condemn you. But God offers through Jesus Christ forgiveness and redemption and restoration. That when you come into his presence, you learn that if you would repent of the reality of that gap, that what you will find is not greater condemnation. You will find forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. That's what you find when you come into God's presence. If you just kind of watch church from the outside, you might get a very different perspective. But if you get into God's presence and you experience who he really is, you find something different. For those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we get into God's presence and we're reminded, yes, your sins were like scarlet, but I've made them white as snow. You're mine. You are my adopted son or daughter through Jesus Christ. And you have a relationship with me. And I'm greater, the text says, than anything that you're going through. We're reminded of how great and powerful and sovereign and awesome God is as we come into his presence. So John says, if you're struggling with this, and some of you are walking in this morning, you're absolutely struggling with this. You're not proud of something you did over the last two days. This weekend's been tough for you. You're not proud of what you did or said to your spouse this week. You're not proud of what you did to your friend this week. You're not proud of what you put on social media this week. All of these things that you come into this place and you know the discrepancy exists in your heart. Many of us feel like we got to cut and run. Like the last place we should be in is God's presence. We better go figure out how to clean ourselves up first. And John says, no, 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 get before him and your heart will be reassured. And some of you need to do that this morning. You need to take that guilty feeling and get into God's presence, confess, repent, and be reassured that God can deal with it. He's bigger than those things. Now, the one other thing we have to deal with in this verse before we move on is the by this at the very beginning. John says, By this you shall know that you are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. The by this refers to a text that we've already preached about, but is right before these verses. And if you go back up, maybe if you go before uh, verse 11 in your Bible, you have a little heading there that says, Love one another. And verse eleven says this: For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And John's John's saying, Do you want a litmus test as to whether or not you're growing in Christ, believer? Do you want a litmus test as to whether or not you're actually progressing the way that you should progress? Stop measuring yourself necessarily against the Ten Commandments, because you're always going to fall short. That's not an excuse for sin. That's a different sermon, but that's not what I'm saying. But he's saying, stop measuring yourself against the law and look at your life and see if you are growing in your ability to love your brothers and sisters. Are you growing in that? John says, that's your litmus test. And you look back and you say, I, I think I am growing in that. These people in this room used to drive me nuts and now I think they're kind of all right. And I come into God's presence and he says, yes, you're mine. Yes, you fall short. Yes, you sin. But there's grace and mercy and forgiveness here. So I told you I wasn't here last Sunday and that I feel less guilty about it than Ting does. <laughs> uh, but uh, last, this last week, our family went to uh, a place that we've gone now for a few years uh, and that we really enjoy as a family. There's a camp up in upstate New York uh, called Camp of the Woods. And we go there uh, one week a summer, and it's just a great week. Our kids have a lot of fun. Uh, we go fishing and whitewater rafting and all that fun stuff. And, and then we just get to sit and, and be in worship and, and hear the good preaching. And so our preacher this week was a man by the name of Garrett Kell from the DC area. And one of the things that he talked about is he actually took us through the uh, Peter's second letter, second Peter. But second uh, Peter in that letter says a similar thing. He calls the believers to love each other and to care for one another. And uh, Garrett, he told the, the story of a man that had come to a church that he was pastoring in rural Texas. He was fresh out of seminary. I think when he was telling the story, he wasn't, he wasn't even married. He was a young guy, single guy, trying to pastor this church in rural Texas. And he said one morning, there was a man that came in, and it was very clear that he was, uh, you know, there because his wife brought him there, not because he wanted to be there. Uh, I don't know if any of you feel like that this morning, but you're in line with this guy, Tony. His name was Tony Gonzalez. Uh, not the famous American football player, but Tony Gonzalez. And he said that Tony would come in and week after week, he would sit in the back with a scowl on his face. He said, I didn't talk much to him because the second the service was over, he would just you know, leave out the back door and it was clear that he hated being there and, and he didn't want to be there and every week he would come and he would sit in the back and his arms were folded and he had a look on his face like he hated what was being preached on, hated being in the place and he left. And Garrett said one week after months of this, Tony walked in and he sat in the back with a big smile on his face. And Garrett was very confused as to what was happening. I don't know, maybe he was watching YouTube on his phone. It was making him laugh or something, Uh, but he was very confused with the big smiles. And so after the service, Tony walked up to Garrett and said, I need to speak to you this week. He said, okay. So Garrett said he came by his house, this farmhouse in rural Texas, and they sat on the back porch, which is exactly where I would think you would sit in rural Texas, And they sat on the back porch and Tony sat down and he said, I got to tell you, pastor. He said, I don't know what's going on with me, but something weird is happening inside of me. And he said, well, tell me about it. He said, I came to church week after week after week. And I hated everybody in the room. I hated people for being Christians I hated everything that they stood for. I hated the way they looked. I hated the way they talked. And it wasn't just in church. It was outside of church too. I just hated people. He said, something has happened to me. And he said, pastor, don't take this the wrong way, but I love you. And he said, and I love the people in the church. And I love the people at the grocery store. And I love everybody that I'm meeting. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And Garrett said, he looked at him. He's like, I'll tell you what happened. He said, I don't know where it happened along the line, but somewhere along the line, you got saved. And this work is happening in your heart through the Holy Spirit. And that's how you're loving people. He said, keep going in that. He said, a few years later, he had, he had already moved away, I believe, but, but Tony got uh, ill and passed away. God called him home. So Garrett flew back to Texas to do the funeral. He said the place was packed. And he said, most of the room were people that had nothing to do to church, but wanted to come see the place where Tony's heart got changed. By this, John says, you want to know if you're growing? You can measure yourself against the rules. You'll always fall short. I can promise you that. John says, your litmus test, is how are you growing in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? John says there's a cycle that begins to take place in our lives. We've talked about this throughout this series. This is a, little, is a tough little book to preach, I feel like, because John is so cyclical in his arguments. He's not very linear like, like Paul or Peter or some of the other writers of the New Testament. Very cyclical, and I feel like he wasn't being very kind to people that had to preach it 2,000 years later. But he goes, he goes around and around in his, in his arguments, reinforcing them over and over again. And in the, the second half of this passage, he brings up this cycle that happens in your life, in my life life. And this is what he says. He says, in God's presence, in these last few verses, if I had to summarize it, he says, in God's presence, this is what happens. You come before him, your heart is reassured, and your heart grows in obedience, which leads you to greater confidence in prayer. This is what happens. You feel condemnation from your heart. And so rather than run away, you lean into God's presence and your heart is reassured as you remember the things that God has done in your life through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Now you're growing in love for your brothers and sisters and your heart is reassured. Your heart is persuaded. Your heart is convinced that God is great and that you are loved. And then as you do that, Uh, John says, You grow in obedience, which leads to greater confidence in prayer. And this is how he says it. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, that's a tricky little verse, isn't it? That's a tricky little verse. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And do what pleases him. Now, what in the world is John saying there? Does that mean if you keep God's commands that you can go out and say, like a new Lamborghini SUV, and it just pulls up? Um, Shockingly, I don't think that's what John means. But what does he mean? We'll talk about that. John says there's this cycle that happens. You feel condemned. You get into God's presence. Your heart is reassured. You grow in obedience and you grow in confidence in your prayer. But the opposite is also true. John doesn't say this, but I felt like God was impressing this on me this morning that the opposite is also true. When I feel condemned and I pull away from God's presence, my obedience to who God calls me to be lessons. And I feel very distant from God when I have to go and talk to Him. You've been there, right? I've been there. Where you're just hoping someone else will pray or you, you, you don't pray. You just like when other people pray. They know what to say. They know the words. They know how to get it done, Right? It's because that's the cycle in our lives is that we, we, we pull back and we don't spend time in God's presence. And so we pull away from, from obedience and it lessens our confidence in God's presence in prayer. Or John says, you feel condemned, you lean in, your heart is reassured, you grow in your obedience and you grow in confidence in prayer. I want to talk about what this means here when he says that we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And then I'll mention very briefly what I think he means when he talks about whatever we ask and being confident in prayer. In verses 23 and 24, John explains the commandments we're supposed to keep. We make this far more complex than it needs to be it's not easy to keep God's commands and to do what he says. Not easy. But it's very straightforward. John says this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. You may remember in the Gospels, in Matthew, when Jesus is asked, What's the most important commandment? Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what he's commanded us to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to love one another. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This is what God is saying. We worry so much about everybody being able to follow the rules. Some of us as Christians, we worry so much about everybody being able to follow the rules and if they're doing things right and what they're wearing on Sunday, what they're not wearing on Sunday, and what they look like and what they don't look like and what they say and what they don't say and what they post and what they don't post. We worry about all the different rules. But John says the only way to fix all of that The only way to fix the discrepancy in my life and your life between what God says to do and what I actually do, the only way for other people to fix the discrepancy in their life between what God says to do and what they do is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow in our love for one another. That if we were to focus there, Jesus says in the Gospels, and John reaffirms here, That all the rest of the things would fall in place. If I'm believing in Jesus Christ and I am growing in my love for him and for you, I don't need a command that tells me not to lie to you. I won't lie because I believe in him and I'm growing in my love of him and you. And so if we come to each other and we say, you better stop lying right now. That's not going to fix the issue. But if we see the discrepancy in my life and in your life and our brothers' and sisters' lives, and we say, I'm praying for you that your belief in Jesus Christ would grow and that your love for him would grow and your love for others would grow and that you would get into his presence and that your heart would be reassured. That is how John says we begin to live the life that Jesus calls us to live. And I can't help but think of what John heard Jesus say in John chapter 6. After he feeds the 5,000 and he's talking to his disciples, his disciples ask him this question. They say, what is the work that God calls us to do? And Jesus says it this way. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. I think sometimes as Christians, we get so busy with so many other things that the belief begins to waver. Jesus says, no, no, just focus on that one. It's like the old, when I grew up, when I grew up, we didn't, we didn't have cable, which meant we had five stations and, and one of them that didn't come in at all, really. I mean, Fox was brand new and it was like three images on the screen. It didn't work, all right? So we had, uh, PBS was one of the stations we got. And PBS would play things like the Ed Sullivan show and the Lawrence Welk show and things like that. Okay. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Listen, this is what we had in Nebraska growing up. All right. So one of the things they used to have is they used to, on those shows, they used to have the plate spinners. Anyone know about the plate spinners? Anyone? Don, thank you. Don knows about the plate spinners. The rest of you are clueless. Let me tell you what the plate spinners do. All right. The plate spinners, they've got a big rack on stage, and they take a stick, and they take a plate, and they start spinning the plate on the stick, and they put it in the rack, and then they hit it a few more times, and the plate's spinning, and then they take another stick and a plate, and they spin it. They take another one, and they spin it, and they spin it, and then they have like 20 sticks and 20 plates uh, going. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just YouTube it later. You'll, You'll see what I'm talking about. But here's what happens. Inevitably, by the time you get to plate and stick number 20, plate number one starts to wobble right? And eventually, the plate spinner can't add another stick and plate, but it has to run back and has to hit this plate and has to hit this plate and then run back and then they can keep going. And after a while, even on the professionals, that first plate just falls and crashes and then that's the end of the, the show there. Jesus says, hey, believe. Grow in your love of me, of my Father. Grow in your love for each other. Just Believe, love God and love each other. Like just keep those plates spinning. But we add so many other plates. And eventually the plates about believing and growing in love for one another and growing in love for God, they start to wobble in our lives because we're down here spinning Thursday night Bible study. And it's not that Thursday night Bible study is bad. It's just that these are the two that we're supposed to keep going. And if something is taking away from that, we need to reassess and get into God's presence and grow in that. That's the mission. That's the commandment. And Paul says, if you will do that, if you will spend time in God's presence, then you will grow, not just in your obedience to everything else God calls you to do, but you will grow in confidence in prayer. He said it in these verses that whatever you ask, It will be given to you. He says later in chapter five, he says it this way. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And Jesus himself said it this way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, what in the world does that mean? Here's the thing. You can't separate out the phrase, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you, from the context that surrounds it. John says get into God's presence, have your heart be reassured, grow in obedience, grow in your love of God, grow in your love for others, and then whatever you ask in his name will be given to you. Do you know why he's able to say that? Because if you're in God's presence and you're growing in your love for God and you're growing in your love for others, the things that you begin to pray about change dramatically from the things that you would pray about if you were outside of God's presence. And as I'm in God's presence, my will becomes conformed to his will. So then when I go into prayer and I begin to pray within that relationship, of course I'm going to be praying for things in line with God's heart. And Jesus says it the same way, right? If, oh boy, that's not what I wanted. Can you go back to that John 15? If you abide in me and I in you, you can ask whatever you If you you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You cannot separate out the if you abide in me part. Because my will is conformed to his will. When I'm praying prayers that are in line with God's will, I'm saying things that I wouldn't say normally. I'm not saying necessarily, God, hey, if you could take care of this and take care of that and take care of this and do that, that'd be great. I'm coming into his presence and I'm praying like Jesus did in the garden. Lord, whatever your will is, do it in my life. However you want to use me today, use me for your glory. God, I thank you that you have already promised to provide everything that I need. Lord, if there's any way I'm not using my finances in a way to to steward your kingdom well, show me. Show me. God, I know that you have the power to heal. I trust you completely for it. And I know that you're with me even as I battle this illness. Our prayers change. God, as I go through my day, would you open up a door for me to share your love with someone that doesn't know you? You don't pray things like that. Um, But when you're close to God, you do. And I can see it in my own life that when I'm far from God and I'm not spending the time that I should be in his presence, I pray very different prayers than when I'm in his presence. And growing in him. You ever met someone that can just confidently walk into God's presence and start saying things that just sound right in line with what God's doing? And you say, like, I wish I had that freedom. I wish I knew. You know, when someone says, hey, who wants to pray for the food? You duck underneath the table. Because the last thing you want to do is say a prayer. If you ever met someone that can just go into God's presence and it feels like they know what to say and what to do. John says there's a correlation between spending time in God's presence and our ability to go into his throne room and ask him for things. When you know God, when you know him, it's different. Sometimes uh, people stop by the church office, and many of you know Pastor Rick is our senior pastor at Mount Hope, and people stop by the church office, and they want to tell us something, tell us something that God has done in their life, something good, and so they'll, they'll find uh, me in the church hallway, or they'll find me in my office, and they'll say, hey, I just want to tell you this amazing thing that happened in my life how God answered prayer. In fact, I was, I was uh, praying with Pastor Rick and, and this happened in my life and God answered my prayer. And I'll say to them, you know what we should do? Let's go and tell Pastor Rick. And they'll say something to me like this. No, 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 I don't want to bother him. No, 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 he's too busy. I don't, I don't want to bother him. I'm like, let's go and t- talk to Pastor Rick. No, 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 he's a senior pastor. I don't, I don't want to bother him. I don't want to bother him. But here's the thing. I've worked with Pastor Rick for 20 years. All right? I knew him when we were in seminary together, and I know what gets him excited. And I promise you that hearing about a prayer that God has answered, that he prayed with someone, would get him excited. And so sometimes I'll drag people in, and I'll knock on the door, and I'll say, Pastor Rick, so-and-so is here. And do you remember when you prayed with them last week? God answered the prayer, and he's fired up about that, right? Excited about it. And they say, oh, good, I'm glad we didn't bother him, Right? I know there's no problem bothering me, but it does the bother him, right? <laughs> if you were invited into the Oval Office in the White House, you would be very careful, I'm guessing. You would not want to disturb anything. You would not want to mess anything up. But see, if your dad's the president, it's very different. It's a totally different experience when your dad's the boss. Your dad's the boss. Your father is in charge. So John's saying, listen, when you feel condemned, get into his presence you will grow in confidence in who he is. You will grow in your ability to talk to him. And you will grow in your obedience. Seeing in God's presence, condemnation becomes confidence. That feeling like you don't measure up, that feeling like you'll never be good enough, it becomes confidence in his presence as you remember who he is and what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our, our worship team forward as we, as we close this morning. And just as we do, just a, a couple of questions for you. One is, are you feeling that tension this morning, that tension between the person you're supposed to be, the commandments that God says to follow or not to follow? and who you really are. If you're feeling that tension and you're not a follower of Jesus, my guess is your feeling is to cut and run. But God says, come, come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive my mercy. Come and receive my grace. Come and be transformed in me. And if you're a Christian, And your tendency is to bury those things. God this morning says, come into my presence. Lay those things out in front of me. Find forgiveness. Grow in obedience as you believe in me. John says the great litmus test is how we're loving each other. So how are we doing church? I don't mean, you know, church everywhere. I mean, church here. How are we doing? Are we loving each other? Are we growing? Do we do it better today than we did six months ago? Do we do it better today than we did a year ago? There's so much happening in the lives of people in this room. Things that that I'm aware of and things that I'm totally unaware of. Some of the things that even I heard Ting pray about today. I sent out an email earlier in the week about Jeanette Kilalea who's recovering at home from an accident. About Jean and Lynn Breitenbach who... Both had surgery. Gene had a valve replaced in his heart. And then Lynn was right on the heels of that with a knee replacement. And so many of you signed up to bring them meals. And Rob Hellsmortel, who can't be with us on many Sunday mornings because of his own health battles, emailed me and said, I'll find a way to get over to Jeanette's and help her with a shower situation. And he emailed me and said we were able to order something on Amazon that I think is going to work for her. That's us loving each other. last Sunday after church. uh, Many of you know Andrew. He preached last week. His wife, Rosemary, her grandfather passed away very suddenly, which is always sad. But many of you have heard Rosemary's testimony. Her mom passed away when she was very young. Her dad was sort of in and out and her grandparents raised her. So in a sense, she she lost a father figure last Sunday. And they're in St. Louis this weekend for all the services and everything else that's been happening over the last couple of days. How can we love them? I got a text while I was away this week. Michael Sims, who attends our church very regularly. His 30-year-old son died in a motorcycle accident in New York this week. Edward Choi, another person that attends here regularly, sent me some pictures from the funeral service. I mean, devastating. Terrible. Do you know Michael? He's here quite often. How can we love him? There's so many other things that I know that are going on in your hearts and in your lives, things that Aren't appropriate to say from the stage things that you're asking us as your pastors to be praying for. Laura told me this morning it's her, the anniversary of her father's passing, and I know that's really hard for you this week. How can we love each other through these things? How can we use the time we have in the fellowship hall after church, not just to see a few people that we know and say hi to some people and just be around the people that we're comfortable with, but truly love one another? That's the litmus test, John says as to how we're doing. So God, I thank you. I thank you that you do not condemn us. I thank you, Lord, that where our hearts condemn us, that you show us grace and mercy, and that as we get into your presence, our hearts are reassured. I pray, Lord, that you will help us grow in confidence in who you are, grow in our love for you and others. Lord, Lord, Be at work among us. Use us for your glory. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.